Future Hacker Life Path Future. Welcome back, everybody. This is Maria Taigi for Future Hacker. This is our second episode with Andrei Spiridion. Andrei, we've been talking about how you know 5G is going to improve and not only improve but actually speed up this interconnectivity between everything right between all objects and, and, and services products and ourselves but with that this is taking the future of cybersecurity to a whole new level in my point of view and love to take your take on that it makes me wonder about even about the crimes of the future right and how not only legislations will have to be completely revisited which is something that is we are already delayed by the things that are already happening currently in the world right so i wonder if all the safeguards and the security systems will be able to keep up with the speed of innovation to keep us protected so do you believe we will be able to to happen like as fast as we need to have the safeguards in place while we are spreading this technology out. And just curious, and just to, to be a little playful here, how do you envision those crimes of the futures in a metaverse future? This is a really, really cool envisioning question. I think that at one hand, my guess is that the tech stack is increasing. So we are, we are creating taller and taller buildings, let's say in an analogy for how we've been putting up things to create more complex solutions. So if you have a more taller building, you have more structural problems, you have more vulnerabilities, lateral vulnerabilities. So I don't think that there's any turning back. Society is becoming more complex each and every day and there is no turning back. We need to, to deal with it and, and understand that, in my personal opinion, it would be pretty hard to simply prevent these kind of crimes from happening. I think we discovered the kinds of crime because, let's say, the, the criminals are R&D specialists for how to make crimes in a different way. So we've been seeing here in Brazil the WhatsApp crimes where people steal identities from the others and passes as them, right? So in my opinion, Behind every crime, there is social accountability or social engineering, and this is not going to change. Perhaps what we, we think when we talk about security is what, what can we not trust? So we, we, we always learn new ways of not trusting something. So this seems suspect. I'm not going into it. So for me, for instance, a kind of a crime for the future, and I think it may be around today already, it's just the, the biological markers and voice stealing, for instance. So up until yesterday, we may think that if I see an image of someone in some place in a photo, the person was there. A few years ago, there was photo manipulation that made it, it was not anymore a marker for, for trusting anything, right? I'm sorry, th those, those deep fakes are unbelievable, right? It's just unbelievable. We can't, in the future, we won't be able to trust our own eyes and ears. It's, it's crazy, right? Exactly. I think that what do we believe as being ourselves and being identity is something that is going to be revisited. So is it your digital, the fingerprints 
is it gonna be your voice? I don't believe the voice because there are if if you can fake the vision, you can fake the voice too. So you have more and more machine learning apparatus and approaches to to simulate that. So I've been thinking a few months or years ago about celebrities selling this markers, this this voice markers, for instance, instead of them needing themselves to act. So I'm gonna send, I'm gonna rent my voice identity, and you can actuate, and there's no problem. But I, I don't need to do the work itself. I'm just gonna rent my social my social presence my brands so i think that, that the crimes may, may involve this kind of thing from one side let's say this is the sensorial side right so what do i as a human sense from other people and environment and trust or not and maybe there is a, a hint that perhaps blockchain could help on that i don't know i'm not really sure how because Perhaps we need to, to, to inspire ourselves in this kind of a structure of combined trust to, to make something more trustable. But in the other side, I think that there's another kind of crime, which is this, let's say, omnipresent, unconscious influence, right? So we've been a victim of that in the political polarization that has been happening for a few years. We, we've seen this on a few elections here in Brazil or around the world. And this is something much more subtle. It's something that if media has been a few decades ago, the major stakeholder for truth, and this has been questioned in the recent times by social media and, and all this polarization and small niches and groups that simply the bubbles of people that are self-contained and created their between quotes truths and revisionists and, and things like that, perhaps this is a, a different kind of crime, crime of manipulation. So this is much more harder to detect and this is much more sensible and ethically perhaps as impactful as the first one of the biological markers. So in the end, I think we need to, we, we will need to respond to this proportionally. We, we are going to discover new fake identities and try to create a, a way to that not happening. So two factors identification has been the most recent way to prevent this kind of stealing of accounts and things like that or, or even stealing of passwords we've seen that data breaches all around the globe every time but this was possible because people have smartphones so perhaps we are going to need to have more backups for our real identities so we can make sure yes for ourselves yeah so you mentioned, you know, ethics, which, which I loved, and it's actually going to be um, my next question to you. So same thing goes when discussing ethics and human behavior. So there are people, unfortunately, there are many people actually, by the way, that when on social media already nowadays, they completely lose their sense of humanity, <laughs> right? And, and empathy and act with more cruelty when online. And maybe they do things and they say things they would never do if we were just face-to-face -face talking to each other, and which is very common, right? So how do you see this behavior reflected on a metaverse world? Like, and I feel, I personally feel that even 
even the use of avatars instead of our own image, even if it's not us there, but if it would be our image, our video, ourselves, just like we're seeing each other right now. Instead, you know, using avatars could be a passport to the, this dark side. So what, what, what's your feeling about that? I think talking about the medium itself, right? So we, we compare, for instance, a chat room, two-dimensional screen chat room with a three-dimensional virtual reality environment. I think that virtual reality is much more like a real life rather than a, a, a more abstract place. So whatever are the things that people behind chat screens hide themselves and create this sometimes strange behaviors and bad behaviors, I think it's maybe harder to do in a virtual reality setup because there are things that are part of ourselves and we don't know. So the gestures, for instance, the way we talk, the way we, let's say, position ourselves nearby to somebody else. So our body language is part of ourselves too. So I think that it may become pretty hard to fake all of those small touch points of ourselves and the world. So I think it's it's harder to be a bad person in a said metaverse than on a, on a two-dimensional screen because you are more vulnerable, let's say. It's not as much as if it was a, the, the real world, the physical world, but it is much more about yourself. In the Brazilian episode, I talked about Jaron Lanier, which is a pioneer in VR. And he always says that VR, virtual reality, is not about a technology. It's much more of a reflection, it's a mirror to ourselves as human beings. Because suddenly, instead of pressing a button on a keyboard or dragging around windows, which are skeuomorphic, try to emulate the physical world, we are actually picking up things with our hands. We are walking with our own feet. We are, we are seeing by moving our head. So it's much more analogical than whatever we feel that digital is all about today. So perhaps you are going to discover a new, we are already doing that, right? So discovering what is digital in the end. It's not about windows. It's not about a screen, a physical screen, but it's about this non-materiality, right? So being able to replicate and being other place. So perhaps teletransport is not, is not recognizable as we thought it would be, but it's more or less like this. We are already seeing ourselves in screens, in two-dimensional screens, but personally talking, I've been developing a tool at, at Arvory and created this kind of proprietary tool for us to create stories together. And it's very different to be in an immersive environment creating together rather than being on a screen and trying to emulate the, the virtual world, the three-dimensional and bodily presence world into uh, to these screens. But I think that the avatars may have a, a good consequence too, letting people be more creative and thinking about different futures that we had not been able to do. And the main difference between, I think, the physical and digital world is that you can create matter. You can create objects. You can create things. In the end, it's all electrons flowing on a circuit. But if you envision something cheaply, it is not expensive and you do not need a very large amount of, of struggle to make it happen, then we may reach up to nicer ideas more easily, right? So 
we may hack the system for creating stuff because the ways of producing these ideas does not pass by the physical means. So it may have a democratizing effect. And in the end, the computers are getting more visceral. So if everyone has part of these computers, everyone's wearing this, this new layer. And with what we need to think about perhaps is the isolation of this metaverse. So everyone's talking about the metaverse, but is a, a virtual only metaverse really a metaverse? If we say that a metaverse is digital, but is not, does not have a, a physical counterpart, it is not integrated to the physical counterpart, does it work? So everyone discussing the hybrid work right now. So it's in theory, in the beginning of the pandemic, in theory, it sounded like a great idea, but in the end, it may happen to be a, the worst idea possible, being to an office, having to move to the office and watching and screen people from home. So we have this big challenge right now to create a place that can be hybrid for even if you are physical or if you are digital or if you enjoy in this hybrid middle grounds. For me, this is something that is the biggest challenge in, and may ra rise up questions in, the, in this headaches and human behavior too. So what is the etiquette for, for engaging into this middle grounds? Super interesting points, Andrei, really. And for sure, that's definitely everyone's talking about, everyone's trying to figure out how, how to solve it next for, for the next, this current generation of professional life. And nobody knows how it's actually going to develop. On your interview last year, you did the following reflection, which I really loved. You said, are we slaves of the machines or of who is building those machines? And I'd love to, to put this discussion with a perspective of the way that we are currently doing our machines, the way we're building it today for the future is an extremely important topic, right? So we all already know how diversity is important to everything, every business, but the way it's done today, it's going to define how inclusive our future is going to be, right? Is it made for, for whoever is being the creator or is it really thinking about the whole diversity of culture and gender and, and race? Is it going to be usable for everybody? Not only women, which we already know that are almost left out of this process, really minority, but you know all types of diversity of gender and, and races and cultures. Many cultures are left out due to the lack of education and the skills needed to be on the game today, right? So do you believe an unbiased future is even possible? And if so, how to get there? Or do you think it's simply utopian? I think for that, we, we need to see the development of other technologies. Right now, we have the, a very, a very global effort on the vaccines for COVID. And we are seeing that different parts of the world have been having different access, right? So for the, the technology not being used as a technocracy, as, as a way of exerting power through technology, I think that we need to involve more people from diverse and, and different backgrounds on the development and discovery of these technologies or discovery of other technologies that are not the technologies we are looking for today. So perhaps you need to, to have all the, the technology development up until then or the recently may have been different if we invited and, and put other place to, together 
instead of making it very concentrated on several places. So it may be a consequence of physical concentration of where these things are being developed, both for the research and the implementation, so both the academic and the corporate. It's, this is not something about technology itself. It's something about the social structures and how, how society as a whole has been giving access to people. So if you, if you look in the, in the US, you have this crisis where people need to, to pay debts for their education. And this makes up for a specific kind of social consequence. Here in Brazil, we have public universities. So it, there's a different mechanic, but the overall research is not as much as invested or, or, or trusted as in US. So I think that there is no way other than questioning this, the underlying reasons for how we come up to, to where we are now. So we've been seeing very atrocious ad campaigns here and there is not uncommon for, for us to see where agencies make out very expensive campaigns that are totally out of mind, aggressive to people because there was no representation inside of that. So this is a very simple example of how not involving people from different backgrounds may be very bad for everyone. So I think it's a matter of more and more inclusion, solving this historical debt with all the people that was subjugated and compromised for all these years. But so you believe it's feasible? I think it, it, it may be, but I don't believe it's going to be easy or fast. I think it's a very lengthy process because it's a matter of redesigning society and it's going to be pretty hard. It involves power, involves conservatives. So it's not going to be comfortable, I guess. There's going to be a lot of people complaining because they're feeling they're losing power. But at the same time, they would not be doing anything of value. Most of these people saying that. So I think it's a political matter in the end. It's not a technological matter. So we see it as a cycle of politics culminating on, on social and technological consequences. Yeah. So let's move the topic a little. You are, after all, besides everything we talked about, I think that you are, let's say, a very first definition of how you started a designer, right? Is it fair to say that? And, and, and design has been redefined and evolving along the years. So what, what, what I knew as a design when I was a teenager is pretty different when we talk about design in a, in a business matter, at least. It's very different. And it's a very trendy profession, right? Some companies are creating the, the chief design officer as a, a more strategic role within uh, large organizations. So my question to you is that for anyone that is interested in heading this path, so which do you believe are the new skills needed to be prepared for the CDO of the future? I think design is only possible because of technology. If we see the rise of the design itself was much more entwined with industrial revolution. So if I was doing something in a very artisanal way, then I'm not compromising a, a big series of production, a big batch of production with a single shot. So whenever people could create a, a bigger batch, they thought about, well, let's think better about this because this is going to be a huge investment and let's not mess this up, 
right? So I think that design has been positioning itself not as a discipline. And I, I like the Gibbon Sip point of view, the designer Gibbon Sip that says that design is not a discipline, but is an interdiscipline. Is a glue that connects together the human, the society, the technology, the context and environment, right? Together to propose solutions. So I think that a designer has to keep his or her eyes into technology and what's happening. We, we should not be comfortable and say, okay, now digital design is apps or it's web or it's whatever the medium is right now, or even extended realities, VR, mixed reality. We, we need to, to see that the future perhaps is not going to be as we expected. So people expected Jetsons, but today we have things that are much, much more advanced than Jetsons. But at the same time, we don't have the, the, the flying car that folds up into a bag that goes in your hand. So all these this visions materialize differently. And, and I think that today, the digital design is shifting from these 2D interfaces that was very well developed. The language of this medium has been evolving, but now we are shifting for a three-dimensional and bodily way of thinking, especially when we are talking about immersive. So now, if you see Apple, they have the, the smartphone, they have the smartwatch, and not only Apple, but all the other brands. So we're talking about having several devices instead of having only one at our front. So there are several screens, but perhaps the next step is having a single screen attached to our head or a tiny device that goes together with a glass, a normal glass. And we need to understand that design needs to incorporate this three-dimensional way of thinking, spatial way of thinking, bodily way of thinking, ergonomical way of thinking, right? And code, because Yesterday, the technique of design involved drawing is a technique, right? Is a different technique that we may still use it today to sketch out things. But now, how can I express an interaction? Would you pick up a storyboard to, to show it or would you sketch directly in code? So designers, the stack, the density and the, the spectrum has grown a lot. So instead of working with pencil and paper, you're doing this and much more things and, and coding and prototyping directly on the browser or prototyping directly on the engine. So for me, at least for me, how I, I see things is I need to absorb technology. I need to see how it works. And this way I can create using it and I, I can use it as a creative tool. So for instance, thinking about artificial intelligence, there are several ways that artificial intelligence and machine learning and neural networks can help to design. And also there are several ways these tools, these techniques, the technology can be part of solutions. So if you go on Pinterest and go on related images, there is a neural network suggesting things there, right? So you, you simply navigate into ideas, but there is a neural network behind that showing up stuff that seems to be visually correlated or let's say, there are tags behind all these images. So we are already working with artificial intelligence, even though we, we, we think that it's not. So there's a new way, a new technology that is not visual, but can be seen as visual too. So I think that we need to, and I personally have a, a deep interest on learning more on artificial intelligence and this kind of approaches. And I think that maybe the next step 
for us to, to understand how to, to work. Definitely not a boring profession, right? <laughs> Andre, it was really, really lovely to have you back on the show. It was great. I'm, I'm glad we could do this in English so we can spread the word. It was really amazing. Thank you so much. We don't have any more time. I did have more questions too bad. We don't have more time. It was really great. If you have any last words, please, I'm going to leave the video. It was such a pleasure, Maria, to talk with you. And I think that what's interesting is that from our last conversation, new ideas emerged, new things happened, and there is always things for us to, to work on and discuss and reflect. And it's a pleasure to be part of it. Thank you very much. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.